You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, everyone, we are back, uh, still in the book of Judges, still chapter five, still with Deborah. This is coming up on, this is what, week four with Deborah? Yes. Yes. There, yeah. <laughs> so we have quite a bit to say about her, and hopefully it's not all the same as like stuff you've already heard. Um, I think we're going to branch out. Oh, well, yeah. No, I say that not to say it's like us getting repetitive, but I think as opposed to like a lot of the arguments surrounding her. Uh, oh, yeah. So, well, and because there's just, again, uh, like we've said before, there just isn't a lot of work done with the actual text. And that's, that's what I'm focusing on. What does the Bible present to us in the song? Because it, it's theologically dense and there's just so much. I stopped myself from going down so many side trails. This, this song just connects and interconnects and reconnects all these different passages in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And you really begin to get this uh, sense of it being a matrix and that there is, um, there is a divine plan. There is purpose behind it and that God is accomplishing his purposes through people and sometimes in spite of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, a lot of the, the ideas here, we can trace literally from Genesis through Revelation. Yeah. And, Which, and yeah, we talked briefly about some of this, but I, you, we didn't go in depth off mic. So I'm, I'm excited. So yeah. anyone else who's hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time, I'm hearing a lot of this stuff for the first <laughs> time. So, uh, you know, I'm going to try to keep this conversational and by the grace of God, I might have something uh, pertinent to, to the, to the conversation. Oh, I, 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 I know you will. And, um, so we're going to kind of, the next few verses, we're going to kind of just zip through real quick because yes, there's some interesting things in there, but I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on them. We're, uh, picking up in verses six through eight and, um, you know, so Deborah right here, she, she says that, uh, in the days of Shamgar. So we know who Shamgar is because he was at the end of chapter three and in the days of JL. Now, in the earlier, just the past episode, we mentioned that McDaniel had suggested that some of the narrative uh, pieces were in the poem and some of the poem pieces were in the narrative. And mm-hmm. so there'd been some mix up. This is one of those places he thinks is mi- mixed up that that um, verse regarding Shamgar should actually be here. And so it would form a, a more complete couplet mm-hmm. and that it shouldn't have been placed in that previous chapter and it would make more sense. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, it kind of, I mean, the verse in chapter three kind of, it was weird. It, it yeah. didn't seem to fit, but for whatever reason, it was preserved. We do have the information in it. Um, what, what's interesting about this is Deborah does not name this era after herself. This is not the days of Deborah. It's not the days of Gideon. It's not the ga- days of Samson. It's Shamgar. The days of Shamgar. Yeah. <laughs> That's... I, that seems like a really, it seems like a, like a, like a sci-fi fantasy fiction. Right. Like series. The days of Shamgar. I, I could see this. Trilogy. I could see Shamgar being like an alien on Star Trek so easily. Yeah, I could see that too. I was thinking more like a Conan type thing. Right. Shamgar. Well, let's see. Well, what? Conan was, uh, was he supposed to be Acadian? No, he's barbarian. Barbarian. So he would have been. Okay. Uh, North. I haven't actually seen the movies. Well, you don't have to. Well, I don't think that's actually. (laughs) I think he's actually in some kind of mystical realm in the movies, but the fact that his name is Conan the Barbarian. barbarian, Right. Okay. That's that's where I am with that. But I I think I may have seen part of the movie as it aired in like a Fox Sunday afternoon special. And you kids turn that off. Yeah. (laughs) So. So there's a peek into our childhood. Good. Anyway, but she, it, it's interesting that she names this era after Shamgar and Jael because they're not Hebrew. They're, they're outsiders. And the fact that she's acknowledging that it's outsiders that um, God's using to not only discipline the nation, but also to deliver the nation. Mm-hmm. So just right there, uh, verse 6b, we, we have this um, uh, reference to the fact that 
the highways are being so overrun with thieves and invaders that people are they're being scared to they're scared to go on these journeys and they're having to use the back roads and the secret mountain paths kind of idea that it's there's an economic hardship going yeah, on yeah, here. Yeah, crime is so prevalent that right. basically the criminals are running everything. Exactly. And so she's setting that scene for you. Um and so when we get to verse 7b now, I'm, we're going to slow it down again. It says, until I arose, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. No. It's interesting. In the JPS, it says, until you arose. Okay. At that point, this is uh, one of those points of debate. Is Deborah singing here or is Barak singing here? So if they were singing together and it was a duet with mm-hmm. male and female parts. We we have a duet going on here and we have also a responsive chorus going on here. So we have um, actually three voices. Where those voices come in and where they break apart, it, it's kind of in debate. Um, different traditions have it different, um, different places. So um, there's not a lot of consensus. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting. Also interesting in the ESV, it says villages ceased in the JPS, it says deliverance ceased. Mm. So, I, I mean, again, I don't have any notes on that particular that's, one. I, that's kind of bizarre and interesting. Yeah. Know, but anyway, let's, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have any notes on that, but the main, the main point still intact. So you can see, despite the fact there are uh, differences in the translation, we still have the, the main theme is there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but notice she re- arose as a mother in Israel, not the mother of Israel. Uh, Rebecca is usually considered to be the mother of Israel. Um, right. So I think it's kind of interesting that, that it is Rebecca. Uh, there's no mention of Deborah having children. So the idea being that in her role as a prophetess, as a Navia, that she, she mothers Israel through these proclamations and in the, her guidance and leadership. Uh, there is another book, and I, I'm not going to go into the connection here. I'm just going to throw it out. Uh, it's in the Apocrypha, the, the book of Judith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It picks up on these same themes. And uh, I, I'll put a link in the show notes, a PDF that you can read it online if you don't have it. Um, since it is in the Apocrypha, it is, it's, as Protestants, we don't consider it part of the canon, but it still is a very influential and useful book for understanding how language was used. But it builds on this this theme of Deborah and Jael beautifully. It's one of my favorite stories, and um, I, I'll leave it there because I I don't want to get too um, too far off track. So, but she's also connecting this to a, a future event, and it's in Second Samuel twenty fourteen through twenty two. Joab is hunting down this guy named Sheba. He he's uh, Joab was one of David's generals. He's okay. going after this guy named Sheba. Sheba takes um, sit, uh, takes refuge in a city called Abel Beth Maka. And as he's attacking the city, this wise woman comes out and she stops him and she says, you know, are, are you going to destroy the city that's a mother of, of Israel? Okay. And um, she says, you know, quit. Just, just stop. We'll handle it. And so she goes back into the city and they catch the people of the city, capture this guy, put his head in a sack and toss it over the city wall to Joab. Hmm. And so I was like, when I read that, I'm going, wait a minute. But the point is that phrase connects her to a wise woman. Being a prophet, that's one of the primary characteristics uh, that you would have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that in, in Israel, it wasn't just, Deborah, who had um, this special position of being consulted and being looked at as a source of knowledge and wisdom, there's actually a tradition of many women who maybe may not be named, they might not be identified, mm-hmm. uh, but they were there. Yeah, but it, it wasn't rare, it wasn't unheard of. Right, because the, the other thing, in this particular passage, and even in chapter 4, I brought this up in one of the previous episodes, but we should remember if it had been something so completely wild and unique, the text would have pointed it out. Right. And and it doesn't. It's just assumed. Now, 
Deborah's doing this with a purpose. And when we look at prophetic writings, we have to remember there is purpose in what's being said. She's doing several different things by using this phrase. One of them, she's causing the, the reader or the listener to get ready for a comparison because at the end of the song, which we aren't going to go into now, but at the end of the song, she's going to reference Cicero's mother. Okay. So she's setting herself up as the character to compare, con- compare and contrast Cicero's mother with. And when we get into Cicero's mother, we find that there are so many different distinctions between the two and how they view this event, not just as being enemies, but mm-hmm. really in their personality. Okay. And so she's also setting up the reader to compare um, JL with, Re- with Rachel and Rebecca. And so that's going to be, we're going to bring that out again more, but she, there's a lot of foreshadowing here. So I want to point it out as we come to it so that when we get there, you're going to be prepared for it and you're going to see it. And that's, that's what, what Deborah's setting up here. She wants you to get the theme and she wants you to get the scene and mm-hmm. she wants it to all be at play in your mind as she, as she moves forward. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm really curious that she says in the days of, of Jael, because you really think, well, what status did she have? Right. Because she had to be of status other than just the person who killed Sisera. Well, or, or was she, or did, did she gain that status because she killed Sisera? Well, I mean, I'm sure there, were, I'm sure there would be some of that. Um, we already talked about how she was very informed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she, she knew who Sisera was. Pretty certain she knew who, who Barak was. Who is Heber? What position does he play? This is all the stuff that... Yeah, and then it's... Yeah, it's, it's very... It, it, I don't know. I, I was just... I was throw that out there. It just seems weird to me. Well, and, and I think this shows us where uh, a lot of the record-keeping was done by men. And so we don't have the women front and center a lot of times, and we don't have a lot of details. But at the same time, a lot of times, even with the men, we don't have a lot of that background information. Sure, sure. So it... it, it we have a lot of speculation, but I think it really shows the, the, the economy of language in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now moving into verse eight, and I know this is going to be where you talked about yeah, jumping this, in. This is where <laughs> it got me when I was reading through this. And I was like, when they, when they chose new gods, mm-hmm. was there a fighter that, then in the gates? No shield nor spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So there, when, when what were chosen, when they chose new gods, I think it actually, I think ESV says when new gods were chosen. Right. Uh, yeah. When new God, when new gods were chosen, then the war was in the gates. Mm-hmm. Was shield or spear seen among the 40,000 in Israel? So yeah, that, that line kind of goes, makes your <laughs> brain wonder sets off all the the bells and whistles mm-hmm. um well okay so first the first thing it does it reminds us why there's a war there's a war because the people chose new gods the the purpose of the war is not just because there was some group of people who didn't like them mm-hmm. this is the result of god's discipline and but the second thing it does it indicates there's an ability to choose and mm-hmm. you know I, I don't think you can get much clearer on that and and this phrase new gods it takes us back to remember you're supposed to read ju- judges with Joshua in mind uh-huh. so it takes us back to Joshua 24 verse 14 and 15 i don't have this one written out but everyone is very familiar with it because uh, we like to shorten it and turn it into a nice little wall hanging 24 what 24, 14, and 15. Um, now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him with undivided loyalty. Put away the gods that your forefathers served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Or, if you are loath to serve the Lord, choose this day which ones you are going to serve, the gods of your forf- that your forefathers served beyond the Euphrates or those of the Amorites in whose land you are settled, but I and my house will, but I and my house will serve the Lord. So that, that aspect of choice, uh-huh. God's laying it out. He's saying you have the ability to decide which God you will choose. Um, 
then we also have to remember not only is Joshua important to the writing of Judges, Deuteronomy is central to the writing of Judges. And so if you look at Deuteronomy uh, 30, verses 11 through 20, and I'm not going to read all of that, but it's outlining the choice between life and death mm-hmm. and blessing and cursing. Go back to Deuteronomy 28. It lays out what blessings will entail. It lays out what curses will entail, all based on who do you choose? Which God are you going to choose to serve? Mm-hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 32, there's a blessing for serving God and not going after new gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of this is brought to the forefront here with, with Deborah's song. And it reminds us that in Deuteronomy, one of the central themes is choice. And that's repeated over and over again. And it's the, the burden and the honor of the people to be able to choose. And what are they choosing? They're choosing which God they're going to, to serve. I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is Deuteronomy is the third most quoted book of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay. It, it's quoted 44 times. The only other books that are quoted more are Psalms and Isaiah. And if you Makes look at sense. Isaiah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you look at Isaiah, again, we have this theme of choosing. Um, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 10 times. So when we read the New Testament, we need to be keeping Deuteronomy in mind because the writers of the New Testament expected their readers to either know Deuteronomy or they expected them to start studying Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And so this should, this should inform our understanding but we have to ask, why is there a choice? You know, if, if they could choose to serve new gods, why is there a warning against it? Why is this so prevalent if there's not the ability to choose? Right. And so now we get into, <laughs> yeah, we get into the other theme of, of Deuteronomy, which is they're an elect nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Deuter- Deuteronomy 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 and 7 For you are a people holy, which means set apart or elect, to the Lord your God, the Lord your God, who has chosen you to be a people as his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So God's saying, I chose you, but in the next breath, he's saying, you can choose me or you can reject me. Mm -hmm. And this is is where we're going to get into, this is where we're going to lose friends. Um, No, I'm I'm kidding. this is where we get into the idea of election and salvation are not necessarily synonymous. Precisely. And especially if you look at it the way that God's, you know, he says, I- I've elected you. I'm, I'm here to share my words with you, mm-hmm. to share with you the path to, right. to, to life, the path to death. death, and you get to choose which one. Mm-hmm. And so the election there is... Um, and I think, you know, Heiser talks about this in his, uh, is it his baptism series? I, I believe so. Uh, where he talks about mm-hmm. election and salvation are, are two different things where the election uh, of Israel is you're, you're elected into a people who have access to the oracles of right. God, um, but you get to choose what you're going to do with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you do see people, you know, of Israel who apost- uh, 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 apostatize, yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, uh, I know I had the first part of that word. <laughs> who, who apostatize and and then and then fall away. So, does is they were they not actually elect? But God said the whole nation's elect. Mm-hmm. So, if you really look at at how that works, uh, another example I like of this is uh, you know uh, you, we talked earlier about using people in spite mm-hmm. of themselves. You know. Uh, you know, God talks about, uh, oh, and I don't have the whole verse, Cyrus talks about using Cyrus right. as, as, as the person who's going to deliver Israel. And everyone say, well, that, that, that means that God chose Cyrus for, you know, he elected him before he was ever born. And that's, that's true, but he, did not, he didn't say anything about whether or not there was eternal salvation involved right. in that. He said he was going to use him to deliver his people. Right. And he also elects leaders around the world to discipline israel Mm -hmm. and kings that he calls evil in his own book (laughs) right doesn't say anything about their salvation so i mean we have plenty of examples where election and and salvation and eternal salvation two totally different Mm -hmm. topics and again 
Oh, we're not making any friends on this one, but I have to be true to what I see in the text well, when, we, when I look at these things. And then we can flip it. We can give a positive uh, example. Uh, Caleb and Othniel, not part of the elect. Right. They, they are outside that covenant community, yet they, I, I don't think there's any doubt that they had a true saving faith in God. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know anyone would say, well, Caleb's in hell, uh, but sure. he's, he's not part of the elect. and. This plays on into even greater themes because in Deuteronomy 4, 32 through 40, again, not going to read all of that, but if you want to, the, the references will be in the show notes. God talks about how he manifest in Egypt, oh, sorry, yeah, in Egypt, in Exodus. And he says, you know, has there ever been a God who has done? And he talks about, you know, all the things that he did there. Mm -hmm. But verse 37 in particular, he says, and he loved your father and chose their offspring after them. So he, he very much did choose the nation of Israel. But I want to tie this back in because when we talk about uh, election and we're talking with some inheritance and allotment language is mm -hmm. going on in these passages. And so we're back to that Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, that, that Israel is uh, God's inheritance. Jacob is his portion. Mm -hmm. I probably flipped those. But um, so, you know, we are arguing against election. That That's there. Right. It, it is definitely 100% a part of the, um, of the biblical worldview, and it always has been. Yeah. And we can't say, oh, well, that's Old Testament, so it doesn't matter anymore, because we're still talking about the same God yeah, who that's... still plays by the same rules. And Paul, when he's telling us, go back and read the scripture, he's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's the thing I love that, you know, uh, you know, there's that, that verse in Acts where the, the Bereans, and I, I may have mentioned it before, but it says the Bereans were more holy than the Thessalonians mm -hmm. uh, because they actually studied the scripture and understood what the scripture said. And, and what's the scripture there? It's the Old Testament. And, mm -hmm. and again... Jesus explains to the people after his resurrection, you know, he's, he, he tells them, Hey, this isn't this isn't something new. This right. has been the plan the whole time. Exactly. And, and so when we, again, we try to separate old Testament from new Testament, we really, I mean, we're treading some, some dangerous water um, mm -hmm. when we get into that because we do get into, is it Marcionism who believed there was a God of the old Testament and a God of the new Testament? Right. And so, yeah, and, and it really frustrates me when, <laughs> whenever we start getting into that, you know, oh, well, you're spending too much time in the Old Testament. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually not. There's uh, no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you know, all scripture is God breathed and, and, and is useful for teaching and mm -hmm. correcting. And, uh, you know, the, the list that Paul gives there, he wasn't talking about his own letters. Right. I mean, I don't think I don't think Paul understood the weight his letters were going to have yeah, now, as he was writing. I them. think Paul had a huge ego personally. I, I see that in his writing, but I don't think it was that big. No, you know? no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying he, I, he definitely saw himself as authoritative right. to the churches he was writing to. Right. But I don't think he thought they would be, the, the, that his letters would be collected and translated and reprinted centuries after his death. Right. Well, when I say that too, I, I should clarify. Paul had to have a certain amount of, of um, certainty and self-assurance to be able to say the things he did. I'm not faulting him for that. I think one of his battles was to keep it in check, and I think he, he does do that. Mm -hmm. But we see that, you know, even with Deborah, when I arose, or even if Barack is singing that, but that idea that as a prophet, you have to be a little, you have to kind of tiptoe to the edge of prideful. And sure. so if you can't, then are you ever going to step out and make those proclamations? And that's, that's difficult to, for us to kind of reconcile the, the personal um, tendencies with what God's doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I don't, you know, I'm not bashing Paul. Uh, Paul was obviously used of God and he is part of our scripture and everything he said is part of what we're supposed to be following, mm -hmm. which we will be talking about Paul when we go back and do the wrap up on judges and talk about women in leadership. So <laughs> not going to go there, but what you were saying, yes, we've got two different kinds of election, very prevalent in the Bible. We have election to service where an individual or a nation, but usually an individual, it, God says, Hey, you're going to do this and mm -hmm. you don't get out of it. I mean, obviously Jonah is a huge 
example of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We do have that corporate election, uh, like you were talking about. Um, it's interesting, John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus himself said, I chose you, I elected you, mm-hmm. but one of you is a devil. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't have election being uh, synonymous with salvation. Right, right. And, and, and you know, and I, I find it interesting, though, because, you know, because God, and I, I, think, in, I think in his choosing of Paul, mm-hmm. I, I do think, and this is just pure speculation, I'm pulling this out of my uh, guessing <laughs> area. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's the sin. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I, you know, people say that, you know, Paul's conversion is evidence of, of the salvific election yeah. type of thing. And I think, I think God was going to use Paul to further the gospel. Period. Period. <laughs> right. Regardless of what Paul did. Right. And I do think Paul would have had a choice. I think his punishment would have been greater after seeing a vision like that. He could have, I, I, and I, this is again, speculation. Mm-hmm. I think he could have said no. And I think that his story would have been used to further the gospel either mm-hmm. way. It had, I mean, because it already started before right. his conversion experience. Precisely. Well, now, so let, let's take that back because I think Paul had already made his choice. I think even before the vision, he had made his choice and his choice was for God mm-hmm. because he studied. He was with the rabbis. He he knew his Old Testament. He was trying to defend God. He was trying to yeah yeah he was he was doing what he believed was, was right right yeah. so yeah I don't think he was he was yeah I I I hadn't put that to it but yeah I, I had think, until you started talking but I definitely think that there could have been this moment to say no I don't believe Christ is Messiah mm-hmm. at which point he would have been stepping away from Yahweh yeah exactly and I think that he had already demonstrated that his heart was so for Yahweh. That, that when he was confronted with, this is the truth, this is where I'm really going to get to connect with him and find what I've been seeking, mm-hmm. then he course corrected. And, yep. and, and so, and God, God moved, I think, in response to, to Paul's desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I can see that. Yeah, that and, would make sense. Well, I mean, you don't spend the time and the, the energy that Paul spent learning Torah if you don't love God. Right. You just, you right. don't do it. Um, so, but you, you brought up something too about how this, um, this corporate election and, and the, the, the plan that throughout the, the Old Testament into the New Testament, um, Ephesians 1, 1 through 11, it's about the corporate election of the Gentiles into God's salvation plan that he wants to bring them in. And that was predestined from the beginning of the earth. And mm-hmm. when you read this idea of corporate election and election to service, and you have that playing in the background instead of meticulous determination or irresistible grace, then you you have a whole different outcome because you're coming into it with something different. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a whole different relationship. Well, you actually have a relationship for one, but that's right. We can harp on that. Right. Much later. Well, and then, well, you know, that's the thing. It, 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 if you read it this way, then Ephesians 1's talking about the reversal of Babel. It's talking about the restoration of Eden. God always intended for Babel to be reversed. He always intended for Eden to be restored. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it falls in line. And I think if we, if we read the New Testament with the Old Testament in mind, and mm-hmm. we don't start our reading in Matthew, now we have a much better basis to interpret the rest of the New Testament on. Yeah, well, and, and you see a sign. I mean, you see a, a microcosm of that. You see that at Pentecost, this mm-hmm. idea of Babel being reversed when you hear if people are hearing the gospel in their own language. language. Yeah, um, in, in a, you know, and the disciples are speaking in in languages they don't know. Right, a, and and you you have that. Um, like I said, it's kind of a microcosm of that ultimate reversal. I think it was God showing. No, this is the power. This is the goal. This is what we're what we're working toward. So I'm, yeah, I love that. So. <laughs> I was looking here because there is a, a passage in Hebrews six, and it helps if I'm actually in Hebrews six. Oh, it won't be in this one. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the Jewish study Bible. That one have Hebrews there. Yeah, that one stops with the Italian shoemaker prophet Malici. Um, it was a bad seminary joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, most of that's correct. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Hebrews six. We're going to start at verse one. 
And it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God and of instruction about washing and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead for eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits or is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the ages to come and then to fall away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to, uh, to their own harm and the holding him up to contempt for the land drunk the rain that falls that often falls on it and produces crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated and receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Now, so we've got a tie back to Genesis. Got your tie back to Genesis. We've got our tie back to Deborah. Got our tie back to Deborah. Yeah. And, and that actually that, uh, uh, Six, uh, six one. That's mm-hmm. actually the the verse a couple weeks ago that I could remember. Oh, that's yeah. the one I was trying to remember. So, but. well, and it's all very much with Deuteronomy language. Um, tasting the heavenly gift. A, a Hebrew reader reads this, and they're thinking manna. Right there, and to be enlightened was to stand at the foot of Sinai. Now, are they thinking? Are they thinking manna, or are they thinking of Torah? Because. Both. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. but yeah, because you talk about manna in the Torah, but because uh, we do have the tradition of, of feeding honey to children when you teach Torah, mm-hmm. so you have this idea of as you're learning, you're tasting sweetness, right, and tying sweetness to study and to the to the to the the, the study of Torah specifically, right. So it's, that's kind of where my my mind went when you're talking about tasting the having heavenly gift, yeah. But of course, then you also if you look at the description of, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm just rambling here. But you look at the description of manna; it talks about it tastes like wafers cooked with honey. Right. So, you know, all of all of it ties together. Right. And the thing is, if you get into these discussions about free will, predestination, uh, the the security of salvation, security of the believer, can you lose your salvation? All of these conversations that that New Testament um, students and academics have. Take this back and let your reading be informed by the Old Testament. Now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can you know these these questions begin to get answered? And I'm not, I don't want to go into it a whole lot because I didn't take time to go. Okay, here's how Hebrews six plays out in relationship to Deborah. But I wanted to throw this out there to show you how the shared language of these passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament help us understand. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the same questions that so many people have when we stop to study the Old Testament. I can look at this and go, hey, I get the fact that we don't get to, to um, well, let me use a picture. This will be easier. The people at Sinai, when they were standing at the base of Sinai, they were enlightened. They, they had God revealed to them. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a good excuse to fall away. Right. You know, when you've had that kind of revelation, the, the earth shook, you know, the, the thunder and the lightning, Moses coming down with his face glowing from having seen God. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why they didn't get to enter the promised land, because they had seen all the miracles in, in Egypt as they came out. And to witness God's power that way and to still turn away and grumble, there's a problem. And, and this is what I believe the writer of Hebrew is comparing. Christians too. It's like, don't be those people. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. be those people because what's that going to mean to your salvation? And so we get this, when we get the, these pictures and we begin to, to fill them in with the story that God has given us, not our own speculation. Now we get it a little better. And it, it like I said, it draws from that Deuteronomy language uh, and the Deuteronomy language uh, actually probably draws on Deborah, the Song of Deborah, because Song of Deborah is older. Mm-hmm. And both of them lay out this idea, you can choose. There's choices and there's consequences. You get to choose. And that's being one of the foundational pieces of Judaism. That's significant. So we were talking about that last, you know, last week. How important was this? to Judaism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I believe it was very 
<laughs> very important. So now that we've gone off on that little tangent from a single line. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> and, that's incredible. And this is, like I said, Deborah is a prophet. So she's not just speaking on her own behalf. She's speaking on behalf of God. And her words are God's. Cause... So, so, and what you're saying is we should take her seriously because we should take God seriously. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. In short. Yeah. Just, just shut so the show up. <laughs> to shut the show down, yeah, let's just cut it off there. We take God seriously. Well, you know. Our we job just, is done. Right. <laughs> so um, verse nine, we're going to pick up. Um, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly. So we're still playing on that theme. You get to decide whether... It's, it's like the repeated hook. Yeah. You... God didn't force them. And the other thing, there's no hesitation for them to obey a command of a woman. So that's, that's interesting. So if you want to look at the gender issue, I think it's there. But again, more importantly, it's not about whether she's a woman or not. It's whether the people believe she spoke on behalf of God. Uh, verses 10 and 11, she's commanding them to remember... Uh, to tell the story. And she's talking to the nobles, the white donkey and the rich carpets there. The, these are people who had influence. They're well-to-do. Okay. I kind of wondered about that because that's, it's one of those idioms that doesn't translate it, it doesn't very tra well. I mean, especially when we're in a quote, post-agrarian society. <laughs> right. I hate that term. And I've mentioned, mentioned yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's telling you, Hey, if you're rich and you're doing well, you need to tell the story. The, the song about the, uh, this to be sung about by the musicians at the well, because the musicians at the well, these aren't just, you know, we think of somebody on the street corner playing a guitar. Now, this is where you learned your history. Mm -hmm. the, well, it's where everyone had to go to the well. Right. It's the meeting place. <laughs> exactly. And so you're, you're, you're being taught. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, we've talked about, um, there's, I say we, the collective we. Um, how memories are not really good anymore because we have access to these things to prompt our memory. Yeah, it's the helper brain, right? Well, I mean, you know that that that's like that's, that's I'm gonna tell, <laughs> my joke is you know the they were talking about there was speculation that like the brontosaurus had like a, a helper, helper brain, brain. <laughs> in its in it, in it by its hips. That's you know that's what we have. We get, we just have them in our pocket. It's right there. I hadn't thought it's about our, that. Our helper but... brain. <laughs> Well, but the thing where I was going with that, um, I don't know if it's necessarily because we have a helper brain, which actually works here, uh, or if it's because, you know, there were five songs this old. Mm -hmm. If you only have five songs, I mean, I'm sure there were more, but if you have five primary songs, mm -hmm. everybody's going to know those. Yeah. And so it's not, I think sometimes just not being overwhelmed by the information and so if you have, you know, a handful of songs are being sung over and over again, now you're going to, everyone's going to know it. it you can go any place and you're going to sing along. Yeah. Which I mean, which actually kind of fits with this idea. Okay. So, um, the, you know, there's, there's this idea with, with social media and internet news and, and just information being able to get, get out there so fast. There is, you know, there's speculation, you know, of course, you know, again, we're going to talk about Nazis and Hitler and stuff, which I, I hate even bringing that stuff up because it, it feels like it's an overused uh, analogy. But, you know, we, with book burnings mm -hmm. um, and remo censorship, removing information, there's this there's this train of thought, which I think is actually pretty accurate, that we don't have to do that anymore because it is so much information is flooding over us right. that that we don't have time to process most of it in any kind of uh, significant way. I agree. And... um. So there's actually, and, and this is when you said that, you know, when you've got five songs that, you know, or, or a short list of songs that you can ponder deeply. Well, that's the thing like right now. And I mean, you look at the Christian music market and I, I hadn't planned on going here, but you know, we're talking about a song. We might as well talk yeah. about music, but the, um, just, just this, there's so many new songs coming out and, and I know, um, you know, people are going to be mad at me, but they all sound exactly the same. <laughs> or so many of them do that when you, that they all just blend together and mm -hmm. you're not actually contemplating the words. And, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but it, you know, these songs were to teach. Right. And is anymore, the Christian music market is about 
creating an ethereal atmosphere. It, it's, right. You know, it, it might as well be like, you know, the sitar music you play when you go to do yoga. Right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's where it is. It's it's mood music, so you can do your Christian yoga better. <laughs> you know, it's it's not for you to contemplate and to study. And that's that's my uh, that's my little soapbox spiel. But I, I get very very frustrated by just the it, it is it it's just constantly there's something new every week there's a Mm -hmm. new song and it sounds just like the old song right and you can mix and match choruses together so there's no it's not a memory tool at all right and uh yeah so much so much so that i heard a song the other day uh i was filling in for uh for dave dolphin up in at cherokee hills for all the any of the worship leader group uh and there was a song, I can't remember the guy's name who wrote it. Um, his last name's Dumber, like D-U, I think it's D-U-M-M-E-R okay. is, how, is his last name. And this song, and I, was, I, I heard it and I was like, this song actually, it stands out musically for one from all the rest of them, the way it starts, the way it builds, the, the chorus is complementary to the verses and vice versa. And I was like, this song, just, I loved it. And, mm-hmm. and I, so much so that I was like, just blown away. I was, I was shocked. I mean, not, not, I mean, and this never happens folks. <laughs> this, I mean, this is, I mean, this is not to put down, uh, anyone, yeah, this, uh, you know, this is not to put down like the typical song selection that I hear from, from Dave specifically, but he does do a lot of popular stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I heard that one, I was just, I, I was blown away. So, um, I'll look, uh, Elias Dummer, I think is the guy's name and the song is enough. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but yeah, definitely check it out. It's really, really good because, it, and, and it's and it's written poetically. It's not hokey. I mean, right. think about how many times you just you okay, you hear the word Jesus in a song and it almost immediately sounds hokey. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so, something about the way a lot of Christian writing goes. And again, the boyfriend I'm, song. I'm harping on this, and I'm I'm sorry <laughs> for going too long, but he does the. He does it, and it doesn't sound one bit hokey through the whole song. It's amazing. So yeah, I'll play it for you after we're done recording. I, I figured you would because, uh, yeah, like I said, this never happens. <laughs> yeah, Emily's <laughs> like, she, she's probably still processing. Like, I what? was <laughs> waiting. I'm like, okay, who's he going to say something negative against him? How much hate mail are we going to get? Oh, God, please be, make him be quiet. So no, I was no, glad no, it's, when. <laughs> no, it's positive. Uh, Elias Dummer. And, you know, we should see about getting him on the show. He'd be great. Okay. Yeah, because I'm like breathing a sigh of relief. It's positive. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, you know, th- there is something to that. Because if you realize that for, for a long period of time, they as a nation would have just had the Torah as far as book wise, you mm-hmm. know, and you would read these passages and you would, you would mull them over and you would study them and you would reread them and you would study them. And this is why the rabbis had all of these various connections and stuff, mm-hmm. because they weren't reading Buzzfeed listicles, right? right. You know, <laughs> they weren't taking up brain space with that. And I'm not bashing anyone who does. I sometimes read them because they're hilarious, but sure. sometimes they were a waste of my time, but you know, but, it, but, but they were cross-referencing this stuff for years and, and cataloging it. Oh, it was just, it was always in the back of their heads, just brewing. And it's amazing what happens if you take the Bible and you really do meditate on it, like mm-hmm. we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I have story after story, but we're, we're not going to go there. Um, this, this passage here, uh, verses 10 and 11, it's also connected back to Deuteronomy 6, 7, which Deuteronomy 6 is where we find the Shema. Mm-hmm. And so, because you're supposed to teach it as you walk along the road, Deborah's saying, my words, my words that are happening here that I'm saying are just as important as the, the law given in Deuteronomy. I want you to put them maybe not as high as the Shema, but you need to put them pretty close. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's making a lot of statements about what she's saying as far as the significance of the song. And I, I think we overlook that. So verse 12, we think that um, this is the, where one of the choir parts, this is kind of more traditionally uh, one of the few places where it's agreed upon that the choir responds to them. Uh, verse 13, um, definitely we, this is where um, Barack picks up and he, he sings this, uh, 
as, you know, celebration. He does not sound like a man humiliated here. Right. Yeah, I think you touched on that when we talked about it, you know, the first verse, it says, and they sang together. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he he's singing this song. And I just want to pick out one little word here. At the end of the, the verse, it says, and the people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. Now, that word there is giborim, mm-hmm. which... Um, we're if, in 13. Yeah, we're in verse 13. Uh. The word gibberim, when we first encounter it, that's Genesis 6. That's when the sons of God took the daughters of men and they had the children. Mm-hmm. And the children were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, quick note here. When we talk about gibberim, we aren't always talking about the Nephilim. Right. But um, I believe this was intentional because we're getting ready to move into that supernatural aspect. Yeah. Well, and uh, one thing here, I, I, I would say I really like mm-hmm. the wording of the of the JPS on this. Give it to us. It is uh, the Lord's people won my victory over the warriors. So okay, so I n- love that that, that it, it because it, it's a uh, uh, it it comes across as a little more humble than the way the ESV right. renders it. That it was the people, God's people, fighting, and it he wasn't just taking all the credit. So right, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the, the JPS is really good about bringing it kind of back down to earth and, mm-hmm. and taking it out of the abstract. Where yeah, no, I know I've I've really enjoyed the wording uh, of the JPS because it, mm-hmm. like you said, it, it it it's more earthy. Yeah, kind of feel. Yeah, uh, which is kind of funny that we like that because we're getting ready to go into yeah. I, <laughs> I, I realized what I said after I said it. But no, this this, this gibberim, the use of this word sets us up for where she she's taking us, and um, now as we're reading through this, and I, and I know I keep saying this, this is prophecy, so. Prophecy isn't really concerned about what happens in the world so much as it is, or, you know, when I say that, I'm, it's not worried about preserving facts. It, it's not worried about uh, retelling history. Uh, it, it's, its job is not to give you a catalog of, of things that happened. It, it's about revealing spiritual truths. And so when we have uh, the use of this word gibberim and any Hebrew person would have immediately been thinking of that Genesis six account because mm-hmm. it's so huge and so central to Judea, uh, ancient Judaism's theology. You can't escape it, right? So, um, she she's setting us up now. Verse fourteen through eighteen. There's a list of tribes. We talked about how that was uh, takes us back to Deuteronomy thirty three and um, Genesis forty nine. I'm not going to go into it, but basically she's praising the tribes that helped and she's chastising the tribes that didn't. And she's explaining to what everyone did right and what every did wrong. There's only one verse I really want to look at, and that is verse 14, because um, if you'll read it in the, do you have your ESV there? I've got, yeah, I got ESV. Do you want that one? Um, Yeah, read the ESV and then read the JPS. Okay. From Ephraim, that's here. Sorry, hold on. Again, the reading aloud thing yeah. from last week. Um, from Ephraim, their route, they marched down into the valley. Okay, you got to stop right there. Now read the JPS. Well, let me switch over here. Verse 14. From Ephraim, they came down, they whose root are in Amalek. Mm-hmm. After you, your, ben- your Ken Benjamin. Okay, we can stop there. But yeah, from from the valley or from Amalek, and which one's right? Remind us of um, Amalek. What is that? Amalek. These are the descendants of Amalek. Uh, they're mentioned among the nation of giants in Numbers thirteen okay. twenty five through thirty three. Gotcha. So um, the Gibberim, like I said, setting us up. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, that would kind of that actually makes sense. I hadn't noticed that before because we do we do hear a lot about. Um, there were giants in the land, uh-huh. you know, with, with, with numbers and the spies and all that. But we don't hear much about that unless you're looking at words like this. Right. You know, you don't, the only other, the only thing you hear about is the, the Philistines and Goliath. Yeah. And so. No, they're still there. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you have to, you have to be looking for them. You have to understand the language to know what you're looking at. Yes. And what's funny is the, um, this verse is controversial because. You know, their root is in Amalek, uh, the 
Ephraim, it, the, this is what's going on here. And it seems like when we get these two different passages, the, the word for Amalek is kept as Amalek. If we're going off the Hebrew passages, if we work from a Septuagint translation, the Septuagint translators change this to valley. Okay. So whose roots in the valley? Because they didn't like the idea of Ephraim being rooted in Amalek. Well, it, hmm. <laughs> well, the, the easiest explanation for this, Ephraim lived in the land that had belonged to the Amalekites. That is exactly what I was thinking yeah. would, would be the easiest way to, to say that. Yeah, they just, they happen to live where the Amalekites lived. Yeah, and it's not, you know, it's not a hard thing to figure out because in Judges twelve fifteen it says specifically that, that Ephraim's living in the hill country that belonged to the Amalekites. So we don't have to have some convoluted uh, explanation. Now, I was kind of, um, I, I was disappointed that the ESV didn't preserve the Amalek, that it actually went with the Valley's translation, mm -hmm. because I think this is important and significant, particularly as we move forward, that this is a divine revelation. This is a look into the supernatural world. Mm -hmm. So when you've got the Gibberim, you've got the Amalekites being mentioned. And then verse 19, and the kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils for their silver. So the verse 19 on that, the kings, we aren't referring to kings of Israel. There's no kings of Israel. We're talking about kings of Canaan fighting. And again, kings are representatives of these divine powers. And so they're, they're fighting and th we're starting to get a glimpse that this is going to be a cosmic battle because Deborah set us up. She did it so well. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the Gibberim. We're going to talk about Melek. Yeah. Well, and then when we move into verse 20, I mean, then you're really definitely there. The stars <laughs> fought from heaven, the stars <laughs> fought from heaven from their courses. They fought against Sisera. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and when we talk about star language, we're talking about divine beings, precisely either angelic or other. You know, what do you what do you want to call it? little lesser gods? The or, lesser Elohim, yeah. the godlets. Um, yeah. Now, I do want to before we get into that because I I do have several verses to set that up for people who might not understand or uh, you know see how deeply that idea of stars and angels uh, and the lesser Elohim is um, rooted in the Bible. Because um, I know a lot of people hear, oh Megiddo. And they want to go, oh, oh, oh we're straight, in straight into the old, uh, straight into Revelation, right? Yeah. And okay. So just not to go too far afield, the Valley of Megiddo is not Armageddon. Um, the, yeah. In Revelation, where it talks about Armageddon, uh, John makes a little notation there that this is Harmageddon. It's not Armageddon. It's got an H in front of it. We don't have it in the English, but we do have it preserved in the Greek because in the Greek, it's just a little breathing mark. That So Har, right. Har is mountain. Megiddon, you got the N sound at the end, uh -huh. not Megiddo. Right. So yeah, we have some letters in com and they're similar, mm -hmm. but they're two different things. And actually, uh, the mountain of Megiddon is Jerusalem. So when we talk about Armageddon, we're not talking about a, a war being fought in a valley. We're talking about a war being fought on the mountain, the it, holy mountain. Okay. So. And when you're talking about a war being fought on the holy mountain, typically we're talking <laughs> about uh, spiritual forces. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And so I, I, I wanted to point that out because I don't want us to get too far afield. So. But verse 20 through 21, oh, by the way, if you want more on that, because um, I know that I'm, some people's minds just melted and they're like, whoa, 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 give us more. Uh, that was a straight rip from uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. It's in the- Reversing uh, Hermon? No, that's Unseen Realm. There's okay. an entire section just on that and he breaks down all the linguistics. And, um, but if you, if you want to go deeper, you can, but basically that's the, the simple version. Fair enough. So, okay. So verse 20 through 21. Yes, definitely. We're getting into star language from the heavens. The stars fought from their courses. They fought against Sisera and the torrents of Kashan swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kashan, march on my soul with might. Again, 
real quick that might gibberim. Uh, so okay, uh, now <laughs> talk about. Do you have anything on this ancient torrent? No, and that's that was kind of everywhere I looked. I was having a hard time finding it. it now, what is interesting, the fact that it's called an ancient torrent. Um, I guess I do. I, I don't have it in my notes. Okay. So the fact that <laughs> I got stuff tucked away do, up but here. I don't. But... Uh, so the Kashan is typically not a mighty river. Like I said, you can usually just step across it in a few steps. It's, it's just a small stream. And so uh, the rabbinic writers said that God had actually stored up waters of Kashan and it held them back specifically from the beginning of time for this day. Okay. So the torrent was ancient in the fact that it had been pre-planned. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what's funny is as you were going through that, I'm like, I'm, I was actually piecing it together, like uh, partly that way is like, as in, as in this is a place where, and I, and I, I'm kind of, again, speculation. I'm kind of thinking of this as like the ancient torrent, like as it was stored up or if there was this place where maybe there was like this river that flows in the unseen realm and then God moves it over to, uh, you know, well, to the physical for the purpose of this battle. I, and again, I'm speculating that's, and it's crazy and it sounds weird of it no, when I say it out you're loud. Setting up, <laughs> you're, you're setting up things in my brain uh, because, um, okay, I'm looking at... But, but no, that would, that, I mean, that would make sense to, to say that maybe this, uh, that, to say, because, I mean, if you think of something that's ancient or you think it's something that's dried out, something that's old. So if you have like this river valley that flash floods mm -hmm. every so often, and then you have God's carved out this ancient river, but he's taken it away. He's storing it, waiting for this time. Yeah, it just. Okay. It's, it's not so crazy. And the reason why I'm saying it's not so crazy. So go back to Genesis 6, which we already have this, this connection that we've been building uh, uh verse 11 I, I think i see where you're going in the 600th year in noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the deep great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open so there's this idea that's very much a part of the flood theology that god had stored up you know all of this rain mm -hmm. and had kept it the waters back for this specific purpose in time. Sure. And, uh, and I think there's even some more poetic uh, references, which, you know, this, this is on the fly, so I don't have time to, to really um, sit down and do all my digging that I want to. But I think there's something to that, because Cicero and his army, they weren't expecting this, and it was this great deluge that came in and just swept them away. Right. And... This is what allowed Barack and his men to come in afterwards and just kind of do a cleanup mission. Okay, so and so now we have a reference back to Egypt. Now we have a <laughs> reference back to the flood. Yeah. Um, which what was the flood about? <laughs> Apparently it was about the Nephilim. And now we've got the stars who are fighting. Uh-huh. And so for those I wanted to kind of build the case for that just a little bit, because Deuteronomy uh four, nineteen and twenty says and beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven. When you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you will be drawn away, bow down to them, and serve them, things that the Lord has allotted to all the peoples under the earth, uh, all the peoples under the whole heaven, sorry. But when the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of its own, his inheritance as you are this day. So we're, we've got that connection mm -hmm. to um, you. Know, what he's saying here is this, the things in heaven, yes, he created them. He created them for signs and seasons. Genesis tells us that they're going to be markers in the sky. But he's saying, don't, don't worship them. Mm -hmm. This host of heaven language, don't, um, don't get lost in, in anything out there that I may not have listed specifically. They're, they're, um, Yes, I talked about the sun and the moon and the stars, but anything beyond just what you see with your eye, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you need to be aware that you should not worship them because they're not your gods. I gave those gods to other nations. Mm -hmm. He did that in Babel. Um, Israel and Jacob, they're his. So, and this matches, like I said, matches up with that 32, 8 and 9 in Deuteronomy, that worldview that was very much present there, that allotment language. 
Second uh, Kings, we have um, people worshiping the host of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, the host of heaven uh, being foreign gods. That uh, Second Kings 17 and 16, Second uh, Kings 21 and 35, uh, 3 through 5, sorry, Second Kings 3 through 5, Nehemiah 9, 6, the host of heaven worships God. Right. So in Job, the morning stars sing together. And so once again, we're back to the, the, the angel idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is which is in the morning stars sing together that is not a reference to the fact that stars sing. emit frequencies <laughs> right? that can be transcribed <laughs> into music I mean, that's i mean yes there there is there is a they do vibrate and if they were had an atmosphere you would probably be able to hear some kind of noise from them but that's not it's not a science reference. Yeah. So anyway, it, it, when, we, when we cover that in episode one, if I know exactly where to find that one. So if you want to hear more about that episode one, go check it out. Yeah. And, and but yeah, so stars, host of heaven, the, these are used interchangeably with that lesser Elohim, uh, spiritual beings. And when we say lesser Elohim, we're not saying there's other gods in competition with, with the God. Right. We're yeah. saying that anything spiritual. Yeah. And and the Bible's clear about that, you know. Very there much. is only one like Yahweh, right? So Yahweh is an Elohim, but not all Elohim are Yahweh. So there, there's it's a distinction. Uh, I think probably the most familiar reference of angels being equated with with stars is Isaiah fourteen twelve through thirteen, where Satan himself is described as a star, and the um. Stars being equated with the host of heaven, the, the sons of God, this this sets the scene for what Deborah is talking about. I mean, she's saying there's something supernatural going on here. Be aware it, it wasn't because Barak won this victory. It's because God and the angels were fighting for our nation. Mm-hmm. And I think she even gets more specific than just fighting for the nation. But we're going to get to that. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> I'll say, yeah, that's... Uh some crazy stuff so how uh we're, we're kind of coming up on time okay so, so let's, um let's kind of find a spot to wrap up okay so how far how many minutes do i have uh negative three negative three okay so, <laughs> so okay i'm just gonna throw out a bunch right quick because we know that angels fight joshua five numbers 22 daniel 10 michael fights the the prince of persia mm-hmm. um jude and deuteronomy 10 both describe god is coming with his armies of ten thousand holy ones mm-hmm. So, uh, and of course, Revelation 12, and there was a war in heaven, and Michael fight, fights the red dragon. Mm-hmm. So what Deborah's saying here is not something we should, we should expect it. We, we should expect it. And this is also very common in other ancient cultures. I have a part written out here. I'm not going to read all of it, but, but this is a Stella from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about this. This is uh, part of the Egyptian folklore. Uh, and this is part of the myth about Amun-Ra. And it says, it was in a second hour, a star came from the south of them, never had the like occur. It flashed against them. They're talking about guards here. Not one withstood before it with the fire on their faces. No one among them found his hand nor looked back and their territory and their horses were no more. So the idea of stars fight wasn't hmm. just a Jewish concept. It, it was a... Um, it, it was across this well, whole part. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you talked earlier about the covenant of symbols, that mm-hmm. whenever you're composing poetry, literature, anything like that, you use things that your audience is going to be familiar with. Correct. You use a symbol they know. And so this, you know, right here you are. Where, where, where's Israel? They're right in the middle of, of <laughs> all everything. Of this. <laughs> so they're in the middle of, of a place that uses all this imagery. So of course, yeah, you would use it in your poetry. And, and we're going to, there's actually even more to this, but we're going to save it for the next episode. I just want to establish the stars are angels in this verse and they are fighting on the behalf of Israel. So yeah, it's okay. pretty amazing. Yeah. So. Seriously. Angels fighting on your behalf. Yeah. I think I, we- I kind of ha- <laughs> have this image uh, of, uh, of, you know, of Lord of the Rings when they're in the river and, and she calls the, the, the river to, uh-huh. to, to take out the, the enemies. And especially with the, the torrents of Kishon coming yeah. down. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, it, it, yeah, just wild stuff. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to next week. I think it's going to be fun. So, um, 
sorry to, to cut it short. I, I, uh, I feel like that's kind of an awkward place to pause, but I don't want to, I don't want to get us too long into things. Um, oh, we get to pick it up in five minutes anyway. So well, for us, but, but for everyone out there, it's going to be next week, but everyone, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, just, uh, bear with us. Uh, we're, we're having a good time. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, uh, pay, uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> all those places. I'm terrible with stuff I'm supposed to have memorized. Uh, hit us up there. Raven Creek SC. That's our handle on all of those. Uh, RavenCreekSC.com gets you to our website. Um, we got some other shows. We got uh, Visual Companion, not Visual Companions. We got Show Notes. That's a, another podcast. Not it's not even ours. But um, anyway. We've got show notes there. We've got other blog companion pieces and we've got a couple other shows. Go check them out. Um, and also uh, there is a link on there that says support us. Uh, we would love it if uh, anyone out there cares to send us a couple bucks every month uh, and help uh, us eventually upgrade equipment and also keep our hosting fees paid up so we can keep doing this. Precisely. Um, so we are having a great time and we hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Oddities Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.